You're listening to a CFCC audio podcast. For news and service times, visit www.cfccnet.org. Good morning. Let's try that again. Good morning. It is so good to have each and every one of you here today. I just want to wish uh, mothers in our presence today a happy Mother's Day. Yes. I tell you, mothers are very, very special people. And obviously, if you're here today, you have a mother. Oh, you are brilliant. Brilliant. I mean, absolutely brilliant. But um, we will. We'll celebrate our moms today a little later in the service. Uh, It is so good, again, to see you. Thank you for coming to worship our King. If you have a bulletin, um, as always, there is so much going on here at CFCC. There are a few events that I want to point your attention to. First of all, Vacation Bible School is coming up very quickly, June 10th through June 14th. We really want to encourage you, um, since it's early in the summer this year, we want to encourage you to sign up your children, grandchildren, neighbor's children. You can go online to our website or you can use the app to sign up children. Please do that this week if you would. Many of you have volunteered in the past or maybe you're wanting to volunteer to be on a team this um, VBS or to be a team leader. Um, Bible school is organized in such a way that you really can impact a child's life in some very simple ways. You don't have to be a fantastic teacher. That is done for you. But you definitely can impact children's lives by making a commitment um, to these four days. Another thing I want to mention is our student um, backpacking trip in Colorado. I heard one of our student ministry leaders say yesterday that this is a unique event because when students give up their phones for a week and when they go up into the mountains, very powerful things happen in their lives. So I want you to pray for the trip, but I also want you to encourage teenagers to take part in this trip. It truly is life-changing. If you would pray with me, Father, we thank you for your greatness and goodness. We thank you for this opportunity to lift up your name. We come to worship our King. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's warm? Yeah, it's nice. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. We are very excited here to celebrate baptism this morning with my friend Stephen McGinn. We were talking this morning. I've known Stephen now for about 13 years or so. They got here in 2005. And um, and uh, got to know him and hung out and gone out to eat a lot and celebrated family events together. And today I'm really excited to celebrate this with you. We had lunch a couple weeks ago and uh, Stephen was kind of telling me his story and uh, said he was raised Catholic and he was sprinkled as a, as a child. And and uh, I said, well, have you ever made that confession your own? And, and uh, he said, no. I said, well, um, do you want to be baptized? And he goes, yeah, I do. I want to be baptized. And so we're so excited to do this, not only uh, to celebrate new life in Christ, but also uh, your birthday. Today's your birthday. So pretty cool. So we're going to celebrate this uh, today with Stephen. So just step forward just a little bit so we have some room here. And um, Stephen, I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. I believe. I believe. That Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. And my personal Savior. And my personal Lord and Savior. Stephen, based on that confession, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Good morning, church family. Happy Sunday. Um, so as I was preparing for this offering, I, I had a scripture going through my head and it was on my heart. And um, it's a scripture that shows us the action that God takes because he loves us so much. And you might be familiar with it. It's John 3.16. And I'll be honest with you, um, I have a tendency to think, I've heard that for years, ever since I was a little bitty and going to vacation Bible school. And I have a tendency to gloss over it in all honesty. And, um, you know, we live in a compartmentalized, sanitized, deodorized world, and it just kind of, you know, in this, in my search for wanting to learn more about Scripture and dig deeper in, I lose sight of the one verse that summarizes the whole gospel. You know, God gives us the whole entire Bible with all kinds of history and poetry and wisdom, and He just, He rolls it all into a nutshell— and I appreciate that because I was a Cliff Notes kind of gal growing up in high school. And, um, you know, here's what we need to know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Um, you know, it's everywhere. We see it it's on bumper stickers. When you see a large crowd of people somewhere on TV in a sporting event, somebody's usually holding up a John 3.16 sign, you know, which is awesome. But, and it's, you know, getting the gospel out there, but it can tend to, you know, we get numb to it. I get numb to it. Um, but scripture also tells us the word of the Lord will never return void. So as many times as we read something, as we read a passage, as we study about something it's going to bear fruit because the word of the Lord bears fruit. And I wanted to share something with you guys that, that struck me. And, um, and it illustrates, it helps illustrate piece by piece just the magnitude um, of this passage. And um, here it is. For God, the greatest lover, so loved the greatest degree, the world, the greatest number of people that he gave, the greatest gift, his only begotten son, um, who was the greatest gift, giving us the greatest act. His son, his only begotten son, the greatest gift. That whoever, the greatest opportunity, I'm a whoever, you're a whoever. Thousands of years ago, whoever um, believes the greatest simplicity. In him, the greatest attraction, there is nothing greater to believe in. Should not perish, which is the greatest promise, but have the greatest certainty everlasting life, the greatest possession. And the Lord, um, he shows us how much he loves us by what he gives to us. He didn't give us something second rate. You know, he gave us his son. He gave us the best thing that he could give us. He gives because he loves us. Um, And he loved us so much to not leave us in the state that we were in, that he had to do something about it. Would you pray with me? Father God, we love you. As we give you our tithes and offerings, would you please draw us closer to you and remind us of the sacrifice that you made for us, Father? Um, thank you for the opportunity to return a small portion of what you pour out on us on a daily basis. Lord, please bless these gifts and offerings that they would increase your kingdom as only you can, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. ask some guys to come and help me at this time if you would come forward so uh, mothers we want to focus in on you for a moment mother's day comes with some mixed emotions quite honestly Um, four years ago last sunday i lost my mom And uh, my mom was incredible. My dad and I were close, but my mom and I were super close. And she spoke into my life just as my wife speaks into, loves my daughters unconditionally. Uh, Moms are special. You know, moms are in need of the gospel, right? It was my death, he died, right? And so we're all in need of the gospel. None of us are perfect. Sometimes we feel like failures as fathers, sometimes as mothers. But thank goodness for the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Amen? And so there's another facet to Mother's Day, though, that is sometimes challenging. While we all have mothers, sometimes it's very challenging to become a mother, um, Jennifer and I, we experienced four miscarriages before our first child and then a fifth miscarriage after 
our first child. And it was just challenging, quite honestly. A Mother's Day was challenging. And, and so I just want to speak words of encouragement to all, everyone here today, right? Because um, we are all blessed. Sometimes we need our eyes open and to be reminded of the good news of Jesus Christ. You were created with a purpose in mind. I promise you that. And God wants to live out, live out his mission through your life. So today we're going to play a little game. Um, the moral of this game is don't leave town for a pastor's retreat or the other staff members will create a game for you to MC, <laughs> right? Uh, but we're going to play a game called First One Up. First One Up, all right? And First One Up, it involves these things. All right? Now, my wife is a strong mother. All right? Now, one reason she's a strong mother is because she carries a big purse. All right? I mean, this purse is, I mean, she will not let it get out of her sight. I mean, it sits in, I said, why do you sit your purse in your lap while you drive? Well, because I want to, you know? Okay. All right. All right. So your purses are an important part of this game today. I have five gifts to be given out to moms, all right? And first one up involves you finding some items in your purse. My monitors, when the hand goes up, they will say, yes, like an auction, right? And then they, I will give them a gift card and they will take it to you. Everyone get it? Get your purses off the floor. Get ready. I'm telling you, these are some good gifts. All right? Watch the screen. Hit it. A book that is not the Bible. Go for it. Where? Wow. Give her a hand. Did she cheat? I mean, what was that about? All right, hit it. Coffee creamer in your purse. Coffee creamer. Coffee creamer. My wife doesn't drink coffee or she would have creamer. <laughs> All right, hit it. A diaper. You got to get. All right. All right. There you go. <laughs> Give her a hand. Hit it. A random piece of, wait, old candy. Did Louise raise it? Who won? Oh, that was quick. Here you go, Damon. Now, guys, you know, no claw, don't put your claws out. You know, like at Bunko. I mean, I've seen women injured at Bunko, right? You know what Bunko is? All right. All right, are y'all ready? It's getting serious. It's getting serious. Now, monitors, you need to do better because I'm afraid I'm going to get attacked after the service. I need you to be loud. Tim, wake up over there. All right, hit it. Whoa, that was cool. She had them in her hand and lifted it up. All right, wait, 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 wait. What's going on here? Is it a tie? All right. No, 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 no. Now, we have a guest and we have a regular. I will have you a gift card next week. Yes, I will. Give her a hand, give her a hand. <laughs> 
All right. Monitors loud. Loud. Make sure they have the item. Here's what I want you to do this time. No more boom, 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 boom. Hold the item. Don't you think, Joey? Hold, look at Joey. He looks so serious. Come on, Joey. Hold the item up in your hand. Well, my mom was old. She couldn't have stood up. I mean, she would, you know, forgive me, but, you know, she was older, right? So I'm trying to be respectful of uh, my elders. Smart. Smart, David. All right. Raise your hand with the item in your hand. Last, last one. Hit it. Chapstick. Oh. Y'all are killing me. All right, Damon or Mario? I heard you. Was that him? Tim screamed. He screamed. Did y'all hear him? Did y'all hear him? I'm so sorry that you lost. I'm so sorry that you lost. I'm really a courteous, nice, caring guy, right? All right, Tim. All right, Steve's mom. All right. Happy Mother's Day. All right, monitors, I need to talk to you guys after the service. Look at Kevin. I told Kevin, he said, now, Dale, you only have so many minutes. I said, yep, and I'm going to take more than you're giving me. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for those who have poured into our lives. Father, we thank you that all of us are in desperate need of the gospel. We thank you that many have gone before us and set an example for us. And we're thankful for each of those individuals. God, you're so good, uh, so faithful. May we be examples. May we be instruments of your love. Father, we just ask that you would speak through Kevin today, that you would open our ears, open our hearts to your word and to the words you've given, Kevin. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Happy Mother's Day. Good to see each of you. Um, What a great morning so far um, with the baptism and celebrating Mother's Day. Do I look like I'm sweating at all? A little bit? Well, let me explain to you what just happened. So apparently, we have a set of waiters that has a hole in them. And I knew this going into this morning, didn't have time to really check, but I assumed that it was this old pair, so I threw those away and put on the ones with a hole in them. And so if you saw my blood pressure rising as I was in the baptistry, it was because I felt water creeping in to my waders, and I've spent the last 15 minutes with a blow dryer trying to dry my pants. So I'm just going to sit here on the stool and preach, if you don't mind. And then I'm going to stay for the rest of the service (laughs) until you all leave. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's good that we're talking about a table, right? Tables uh, like these and like this one over here, are places where some of the biggest moments in life happen. Some of the most exciting moments of life happen. Uh, We celebrate big days like Christmas and Thanksgiving around a table. Huge celebratory days like that. But um, 
Then there, there are also days like today where uh, another huge celebratory day where we're, many of you are gathering around a table to celebrate Mother's Day, right? Um, some of us celebrate giant milestones around the table. Many of you are planning graduation parties right now, which will include a lot of food and festivities and uh, probably a table laden with all kinds of good things. Some of you are planning weddings right now. And, uh, you know, I love a good wedding, but nobody really cares about the wedding. They care about the reception, right? That's, that's what we look forward to, the party with all kinds of good things to celebrate this big moment with family. But some moments that happen around a table aren't huge. They aren't really special um, because of the day or because of what they celebrate. Some of them are just mundane, everyday moments that you celebrate with maybe some friends getting together with, with friends around a table. And I've done that with many of you over the last 18 years, had many meals. And at those meals, we sat around a table and food was shared. Most of the time it was Mexican food. And um, we prayed together. Um, we laughed together. Uh, we confessed sins together. Uh, we gave forgiveness. Uh, tears were shed, maybe of sorrow. Uh, maybe tears were shed because of, of the laughter. But all kinds of these really special moments were, were made around a table. We remember together a lot of times around a table where we've been. And we thank God for where we are. And we dream about where we're going to go together one day, and, and knowingly or unknowingly, in those moments, the grace of God is given to us. This gift of love is given to us, and we experience his, his great love for us. Tables give shape to, to who we are, don't they? They give meaning and, and purpose to our lives. In some cases, they give value to another person, um, a person who is an outcast, a person who... Um, may feel marginalized and sitting at a table with that person gives them value and gives them uh, love. I, I try to imagine what life would be like without a table. Think about how special they are and how many moments you've celebrated around them. When, when I was, this is about probably 10 years ago and some of you have heard these stories, but I, I was really sick and I was struggling with, with an illness, didn't really know what it was and I couldn't eat and um, I could only eat small, really small bites before getting, you know, really violently ill. And it wasn't so much the food that I missed. It was, I felt, started feeling more and more isolated from people. Because eating is more than just sustenance. When we sit around a table, it's more than just a mechanical action. A table, a meal that we share on a table... Um, connects us with others, doesn't it? In fact, it's one of the most human things that we can do. Think, think about it. Out of all the creatures in all of the world, humans are the only ones who consume a meal around the table. And so it's no coincidence then that God would show up often at tables. In fact, you could make a case, and I would argue that, all of creation was made so that God could commune with us at a table. He created us as an expression of, of love. He didn't need to create us. He didn't need us for anything. He was in perfect harmony and perfect fellowship within the Trinity. And because of his great love, he decided he wanted to share this with a creation. And so he created us to have communion, to have the same kind of communion he has within himself and the Trinity with us together at a table. The original intent of creation was a table, but then the wheels fell off. Mankind, man and woman, rebelled against God, chose their way over God's way, chose to embrace sin, and that separated us from the Lord. It separated us from God, and the relationship with him was broken. But God, but God, chose in his great love for us 
to redeem us in Jesus. And so the, the intent of redemption was to return us to the table, return us to communion, return us to relationship with him. In fact, when you think about redemption, this is pretty cool, two of the greatest redemptive moments in all of scripture happen around a table, the Passover and the Lord's Supper. After the fall, God sought to recreate what had been destroyed by sin and by death. And so he desired for a a people for himself who could share in that fellowship. He created us for communion. He redeemed us for communion. And one day we will be in his presence and commune with him forever. We're gonna talk about that next week with the marriage supper of the lamb, but I'm getting ahead of myself here this morning. All of these things, creation, redemption, and the consummation of all things are centered around a table with God. So Luke, in our scripture that we're gonna be looking at today, Luke, the writer, knew this all too well. Um, Throughout the book, there are stories, and you've heard some over the last couple of weeks, of Jesus meeting with people, Jesus meeting with sinners, embracing them, welcoming them, accepting them. Table narratives dominate the book of Luke, and really into the book of Acts, which Luke wrote as well. Out of uh, the 2,000, there's about 2,077 verses in both of Luke and Acts, and approximately one-fifth of those happen around a table. Isn't that cool? One writer even describes the, uh, these meals, the eating and drinking that happens in Luke and in Acts as the organizing principle of his writing. It centers everything around them. Um, and today I wanna focus on one of those meals that happens in Luke 22. So you can kind of turn there this morning as I continue to dry out. Um, the Last Supper in Luke 22. We don't often associate this with the other meals in scripture, do we? We kind of keep it separate. We sort of look at it as over here, maybe because of its, of its loftiness, maybe because of its, its um, formality, maybe because uh, it's so ritualistic, but we sort of tend to separate the Last Supper from all of the other meals in scripture, but we shouldn't. We shouldn't. The, the Last Supper actually informs all of the meals that have been happening prior to this. It gives us a better understanding. All of these meals that we've been having in Luke with Jesus actually lead us to this moment, right? They're related together, and so we can't disconnect them. We've gotta hold them together. The Last Supper should help us in, interpret all of the meals that have happened prior to it, including the Passover, And so we're gonna look at this relationship a little bit today. Let's read Luke chapter two, and I'm gonna start in verse seven and eight, and it says this. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And so there, right there in that passage, we have established here in Luke that this is the Passover meal that they're actually having. Now there are, there's some other places in scripture that have caused some kind of difficulty in understanding when this actual date was, but nobody goes into as much detail as Luke does. And so we're gonna look at this passage here today. Now skip down to verse 14, and it says this, and when the hour came, Jesus reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He had been looking forward to this. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom, in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. 
What Jesus is saying here when he says, I'm not gonna eat this again, he's actually looking forward to, um, to when the kingdom of God comes, the new heaven and the new earth, right? When the kingdom of God comes and we have this feast together. So what Passover is doing is Passover is actually looking toward the Lord's Supper. And we're gonna talk about that here in a little, little bit. But it's also looking forward to the total fulfillment of that feast in the, the marriage feast, the banquet of the lamb that we're all gonna have together in heaven, okay? But what I wanna point out here is that this meal in context of, of the Passover here, as we just read, is not just a bread, it's not just a piece of bread, and it's not just a cup. This was a meal that they were having here together, right? This whole great feast was sort of laid out in front of them. And so since the Lord's Supper happens in context of the Passover, it's important for us to understand the Passover so that we fully appreciate the Lord's Supper. Does that make sense? So if you think back, if you know kind of the context of the Passover, maybe if you don't, this this will help. Um, After the lambs were slaughtered in the afternoon at the Passover meal in the Old Testament, the Passover meal was eaten in the evening. And the host, who is typically the father, and in Luke's writing, it's Jesus here who is hosting the Passover meal, they would read something called the Haggadah, which remembered the exodus of God's people who were enslaved by Pharaoh, who he, he rose up Moses and helped to deliver the people of Israel from the Egyptian hands. Um, if you know the story, you remember that there were nine plagues that God uh, laid down on Egypt and Pharaoh each time hardened his heart more and more and more. And the last time, the last plague, plague number 10, was a plague of death. And in order to avoid this plague, God instructed the people to take a lamb, an unblemished lamb, and to sacrifice it and to take the blood and spread it over the doorpost. And that night, the angel of the Lord would appear and when it saw, when it recognized, when it acknowledged the blood over that home, he would pass over. And so the next morning, in total turmoil and upset, uh, the people of, of Israel rose up and fled out of Egypt went with the kingdom in total disarray. Later, Pharaoh catches up with them at the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea as they pass. And then as they are through, he closes the sea upon their enemies, crushing them and freeing them forever. And so this this story recognizes um, that moment, right? That moment in history. And it called them to remember their salvation and to respond to that memory with celebration, okay? This is a key thing that we're gonna talk about here this morning. It wasn't a funeral. If you've ever watched the Ten Commandments, they have the, the Passover meal and, it, and it, it just sort of burns this image in our mind that it should be this really somber, this really sad sort of funeral dirge, okay? But that's not what God had intended for us. The other interesting thing about the Passover meal was it wasn't just something that was memorialized. When a person participated in the Passover meal, they actually were called to re-experience it as if they were standing at the Red Sea themselves, that they were standing there in, in the presence of their ancestors there, experiencing the power of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the deliverance of God themselves. In the, the Mishnaic Haggadah, which is the text that they, they would read, we're not exactly sure what it was that was read, but this is a close interpretation of it. It said this, in every generation, a person must regard himself as though he had personally gone out of Egypt. Now, this is the host speaking to the people at the meal. And you shall tell your son in that day, saying, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came forth out of Egypt. Therefore, it is our duty to thank, to praise, to laud, glorify, exalt, honor, bless, extol, and adore him who performed all these miracles for our ancestors and us. He brought us forth from bondage into freedom, from sorrow into joy, from mourning into festivity, 
from darkness into great light and from servitude into redemption. Therefore, let us say before him, say it with me, hallelujah. Oh, come on, that was weak. Let's say it again together, hallelujah. One, two, three. Hallelujah. That's right. So back in Luke 22, Jesus is reinterpreting this Passover meal um, through the Passover, right? And through the, 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 the coming kingdom, right? He's, he's showing them that something new is, is happening. Jesus is pointing them to a new exodus and the experience of a new table, a table in the kingdom of God. And so they're seeing something that they've seen every year for the, their lives reinterpreted in this new, new way. And so rather than the Lord's Supper, um, you know, being separate from the Passover, the Passover and the Lord's Supper are not two different things. Rather, the Lord's Supper is a fulfillment of the Passover where the work of Jesus is experienced at the table. This new exodus, God has set us free in Jesus And just like the people of Israel, we are not to just memorialize it, but we're to re-experience it each time we take it. Not Not just remember, but celebrate it as if it were occurring to us right then in that moment. One of my favorite scriptures says, remember the rock from which you were hewn, the quarry from which you're cut. Scripture says over and over and over again, the remember the day of your salvation. That's what it's calling us to do here. Not to just think back on it, but to experience it every single day. The saving work of God is not just a memory, it's a reality. But here's the problem. It typically doesn't feel like that in church, does it? When we celebrate communion. This, this meal that we have doesn't typically evoke joy. Uh, for, some, for some, it's a time of guilt. Uh, for some, it's a time of regret. For some, it's a time of shame that we experience over and over and over again each time that we take it. And I have to say this morning that that's our fault as leaders. And that's the church's fault as an institution. We have sort of instilled this in our people. Paul talks about, in scripture, he talks about um, to make sure that we don't take communion in an unworthy manner. But that's talking about something very specific there. That's not the point of this. The point is the church, I believe, has turned the Lord's Supper into something that it wasn't meant to be. We've replaced the table with an altar. We've replaced the table with an altar. In the first century church, the way that they would celebrate the meal, if you look in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter two, verse 46 and 47, I think the words are gonna be on the screen. The Lord's Supper was celebrated as a full meal in these house churches. It wasn't just celebrated with the bread and the cup. It was a full meal where they would feast together. They would thank God together. They would remember what he had did, but it would always point them to the, the resurrection and the joy and the freedom that they were now experiencing. Acts 2, 46 and 47 tells us that this meal was a daily observance. Let's read it. It says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, right? And that's the same phrase that he uses, Luke uses when he writes the the book of Luke, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The word that he uses for glad and and generous hearts could could be translated joyful outburst. This was, they, they had exceeding joy within them, okay? This, this wasn't a really quiet, somber thing. This is a, a feast where everyone was welcome, rich and poor, the socioeconomic background, ethnicity, slave and free, all of these people gathered together around this table. That's a feast, and that's a table I want to sit at. An altar, on the other hand, is where sacrificial offerings were made. An altar is a place where we go individually, where there's sorrow, 
where there's repentance. Uh, it's a quiet place. It's a private place. In some cases, it's a secret place. Tears are shed. Our eyes are bowed low, not making eye contact with anybody. At a table, a person experiences joy and love and grace. At an altar, they're brought low before God. But do you know what happened after when people would have a sacrificial meal? Do you know what would happen, uh, I'm sorry, after a a sacrifice was made on an altar? With a lamb, an unblemished lamb, when it was brought to the altar to be burned, it would be followed by a sacrificial meal. So the altar brought about communion with God and with each other. The table is where we reap the benefits of the altar. The table is where we get to enjoy all the benefits that were provided by that sacrifice, right? And so for Christians, the altar is the cross. For us as believers, the altar is the cross. It's the place where the final sacrifice was made by the Lamb of God. He atoned for our sins on the cross, But listen, the cross was a means to an end, y'all. The cross was a means to an end. God used the cross to make atonement for our sins so that we could have communion with him and with each other. And that's something to celebrate. The table is where we get to enjoy the benefits of the altar, of the sacrifice. And that's what God always intended for us from the very beginning. And today, I want you to re-envision the Lord's Supper at a table. I want you to re-envision it as a feast, as a meal. Because when I think of communion, when I think of the Lord's Supper, I think of a quiet place. I think of a personal place. I think of a private place. But this was not... God's intent. God wants us to move from the altar to the table, a place that evokes joy, a place that evokes gratitude. And so return to the table and enjoy all that it entails here this morning. When I think about some of the feasts that we have had at a table over the years, some that I have had, meals that I've had with friends, uh, my friends laugh a lot. We laugh a lot at the table. Um, when I have meals with my family, my family is loud. Is your family loud? At, at, at those meals, we hug a lot. Some hug a lot. I want you to re-envision the Lord's Supper like that kind of feast. I want you to take communion like that today. We don't have a big table. It's sort of impractical here in this space. We don't, we're not able to have a big meal right now, but we can still do things that support the original intent, that sort of encourage it and emphasize God's intent for this meal. That's one of the things I like about how Cypher Christian Church does communion, where we take it by dipping the bread. We, we all stand up, we come up to the front, and, and in many cases, the person will, will look at you in the eye and sometimes even say your name and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And instead of being in a, in, a, in a pew where your eyes are bowed low and you're trying to sort of shield yourselves from everyone, you take it and you look at them and you say, praise God. And they have the cup and they say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you, Dale. For you, Carrie. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. And you take it and you dip it and you say, praise God. That's what I love about the way that we do it. But there's other things that we can do to sort of encourage this kind of celebration, this communal way of taking communion that the first century church did. And we're gonna do that here in just a second. But I want you to eat this meal with hope. I don't want you to to take this meal with sorrow this morning and regret and shame and guilt. I want you to experience the gospel, the altar 
takes us to the table. That's what we're celebrating here this morning. We're looking back and we're remembering what Christ did, but don't stay there. Celebrate it at the table. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 34, 8 says, you have been made alive in Christ. You are going to be reunited with those who have gone before you in Christ, with your loved ones, with your friends. You once were dead, but in Christ through his blood, you have been made alive in him. That's what we're celebrating here this morning. And so I want to close here this passage, and we're just going to move into the communion time. And let me warn you, let me warn you, okay, we're going to, we're going to take communion, and as we do, we're going to worship the Lord, okay? We're going to praise him. This is going to be a time of thanksgiving. We're going to celebrate the goodness of God, okay? And so we've, the band is going to lead us in a joyous, upbeat song as we do this. And if you're sitting in the seats waiting for communion, I want you to sing. I want you to join in this celebration together here this morning, okay? And so I'm going to ask our servers to come up to the front, and I'm going to ask them to get in their place. And as we do, I want to I lead you in a congregational reading, okay? And you think, oh, okay, really? We're supposed to celebrate, and you're going to walk us through this congregation? Well, here's the thing. Like singing, see, singing is cool because, think about it, it's one of the few things in all of creation, one of the few gifts that we have, where we're able to unite together in mind as we're thinking about the lyrics, we're united together in heart as we're feeling the words and we're united in our bodies as we're singing the words. It's one of the few things that we do in all of the human experience that, that combines those three things together and we can, we can join together in harmony, some in harmony, more so in melody, some, and we can join together and sing. This is one of the reasons I believe that you can walk into an Alzheimer's unit and someone won't remember their name, but they can remember all seven verses of Holy, 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 right? And so we're gonna sing. We're gonna do that together. And another thing that we can do together is we can do a responsive reading. And, and, and I don't want you just to mumble these words, okay? Imagine that we are at a feast. We only have the bread and the cup as symbols, but what you have is the spirit of God living within you. You once were dead and now you are alive. And so you have every reason. You have, in fact, no excuse not to shout these things out. Are you ready? Ready. Are you ready? All right. To gather joyfully is a serious affair for feasting and all the enjoyments gratefully taken are at their heart acts of war. In celebrating this feast, we declare that evil and death, suffering and loss, sorrow and tears will not have the final word. But the joy of fellowship and the welcome and comfort of friends new and old and the celebration of this bread and this cup and conversation and laughter are the true evidences of things eternal and are the first fruits of that great glad joy that is to come and that will be unending. So let our feast this day be joined to those sure victories secured by Christ. Let it be to us now a delight and a glad foretaste of his eternal kingdom. Bless us, O Lord, in this feast. Bless us, O Lord, as we stand around this table you have laden with good things. May this shared meal and our pleasure in it bear witness against the deceit and deceptions of the prince of the darkness that would blind this world to hope. May it strike at the root of the lie that would drain life of meaning and the world of joy and suffering of redemption. And may our feast fall like a great hammer blow against the night, shattering this gloom, reawakening our hearts, stirring our imaginations, and focusing our visions on the kingdom of heaven that is to come, on the kingdom that is promised, on the kingdom that is already indeed among us. 
for the resurrection of all good things has already joyfully begun. May this feast be an echo of that great supper of the Lamb, a foreshadowing of the great celebration that awaits the children of God, where two or more are gathered. O Lord, there you have promised to be. And here we are. And here we are. And so here are you. Take joy, O King, in this our feast. Take joy, O King. And now, you who are loved by the Father, prepare your hearts and give yourself wholly to this celebration of what? To the glad company of saints, to the comforting fellowship of the Spirit, and to the abiding presence of Christ, who is seated among us both as our host and as our honored guest, and still yet as our conquering King. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, feast and take delight. We're going to take of the Lord's Supper here in just a moment. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to come just as you normally do in rows and we'll come. But I want you guys, maybe after you take it, to go find somebody that you haven't spoken to in a while, maybe a dear friend, maybe a family member, and I just want you to tell them how much you're thankful for them. Maybe how God has ministered to you through them. That we could not only share in this communion with God, but share and really sort of acknowledge this gift that he's given us together, this communion of the saints, okay? And so let's pray and give thanks to our God as we celebrate joy this morning. Father, we thank you for the love of Christ. We thank you that your original intent from the very beginning was to commune with us so that we might experience your glory That's what it was all about, for us to be seated with you at the table and and see you as you are and to be in awe of you. And so here we are, God. You have brought us back to the table through the altar of Jesus Christ, through the altar of the cross. And so I pray, Lord, that we would celebrate it here today, unabashedly, that we would give thanks and we would experience the joy of God in Jesus and all the fruits that come with it, the communion of saints, the blessing of freedom in you. And Lord, it would overwhelm us, it would well up in praise and worship of you, that we would respond. Lord, I pray that today we wouldn't just memorialize the cross, we would re-experience it that we would experience it as if today were the day of our salvation. Today were the day we were being baptized. And that every day going forth, it would be that way for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these reminders, the bread and the cup, that remind us of this great love that you've had for us. And we celebrate them here today with joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come forward. We just give you all the glory and the praise. Be with us as we go out this week and we share this to others around us. In Jesus' name, amen.